0: I felt like I started to belong in the swing dance or lindy hop community when I was invited to be a part of practices because of our shared interest in growing and learning. Not because I had any great skill level, but because we shared a love for the art form. And we started to um, experiment and try different things in the dance, knowing that failure was a part of it and that was okay. Um, This was a group of people who enjoyed my company and I enjoyed their company and we just enjoyed learning together. And now I feel the freedom to experiment um, more boldly in other areas of life, knowing that failure is all right.
1: So this is funny. So I'm doing a monologue today about belonging. And my script is not. (laughs) <laughs> is not playing in my audio. So this is fitting. This is fitting. So um, I'm going to do my best to see if this plays. And if it doesn't, we'll just go from here. All right. Here we go. I saw some kids at the bus stop waiting for their bus the other day. And I had to do a double take. There was this girl there. She had red sneakers, a blonde ponytail, standing just to the outside of the group. I felt like I was looking at myself at age 12. Not far enough away that you would think I was a loner, but not close enough either that I really fit in. It was like, you could see my, my shaking hands and my pounding heart and, and my ache to belong. You know, But how could I belong when I didn't even know who I was? I mean, none of us knew. Back then, I wanted to be liked more than I wanted to be myself. That's changed, of course. In school, I was all about joining. Choir and theater, cross-country, a sorority, a student fellowship, Bible study. I was always busy, and I was never alone. My name was in every page of the yearbook. (laughs) You know, it was so, um, seeing my name on those rosters, it was so concrete, so quantifiable. It said, I was important, I was involved. That felt like belonging, but actually, it was exhausting. So I never said no, I, I never took a break, and... Just the, the fatigue just took over me. But I thought that was how I belong. When I landed my first job, my first goal was to impress. My goal was to get in there and say, I'm gonna be noticed, I'm the one to watch, I am going places. Well, Yeah, my pride, is pretty big. But I knew that if I inserted myself in everything and I, I seized every opportunity, that I would be the one to watch. And I seized those opportunities, and maybe some that probably weren't mine. It took me a while, but I noticed that my coworkers, when they would go out socially, they didn't invite me. Turns out my me attitude didn't really sit well with them. So what, right? I mean, it stung, but I wasn't at the office to make friends. Besides, I was going to move forward. And you know what? If it didn't work out, I would just find a new job and move on. And I did. Anyway, the best way to know how you belong is by finding that right person, right? That someone that gives you that instant click, that spark, that feeling, that, that feeling like you belong to them without even having to try, and they get you. <sighs> Someone to belong with and to. But it turns out, those relationships, I never really did feel understood. And at times, I felt like my failure was there for them, and then they failed me. And turns out that wasn't the way I thought I was to belong. Well, I wouldn't have made it without this great group of friends I met in my 30s. Now, we weren't a cookie-cutter group at all. And you would think that we didn't belong together because we had different relationships, different jobs, um, different talents. But we shared our lives. We were so close. And the good, the bad, and the ugly was all part of our group. And it was awesome. And, you know, I miss that. We had a good run, but it faded out. And now, some of us, we keep in touch by the occasional email or Christmas card. But that joy, in people, that connection, I've never really found it again. That day, at the bus stop, I wanted to go up to that girl with the blonde ponytail and the huge backpack and give her this big hug and say, it gets better. But does it? Do I still try to conform to belong? Am I still that 12-year-old girl even as an adult, all the things that I've walked through, still trying to search for what I want. Because you know why? I'm going to fail. And sometimes someone's going to fail me. And that makes me question, do I really belong? Do I belong in a place? Can I handle it? Can I do it? I don't know. Other people can do it. But can I? I don't know. So. Anyway, I was away from church for a while, about three years, and uh, I'm back. Um, I remember walking through the door the first day, and um, I was like, okay, now, don't get too needy, don't get too consumed, don't get too intense, don't say the wrong thing. And all these things are going through my mind and walking through. And, um, and you know, who am I kidding? I am too intense. I do get needy. And I laugh and get excited about things that maybe no one else gets excited about. And and I am too intense, and sometimes I flake out. And you know, sometimes I will and do say the wrong thing. But you know, is it a possibility that with everything that I do, good or bad, and it isn't all good, that I can still belong somewhere? Is it Is it a possibility that I can belong here?
0: Well, change a few of the details, and that story could be any of our stories. A story of wanting to belong, but never quite getting it right or being able to keep it together. The problem with belonging is that we always mess it up. I mean, we want to belong. We do our best to fit in. Sometimes we get it right for a while, and it's good. But inevitably. We say or do the wrong thing, something stupid or selfish or hurtful, and the whole thing blows up or just begins to gradually unravel. Now, the problem, of course, is that we're messed up. We're insecure. We're self-protective. We're self-centered. We're flaky. We're forgetful. We're short-tempered. And, and if we're not those things, then the other person is or someone else is, and, and we don't handle it very well. My own story begins in third grade. I was the new kid in school. We had just moved to, the na- to a new neighborhood, and so I was there for my first day in third grade. Now, like most eight-year-olds, I was happy and friendly and blissfully unselfconscious. I quickly met a boy named James, and, and we became friends, he and his gang. And-, and we had fun chasing each other around the playground at recess. We soon discovered it was even more fun to chase the girls around at recess. <laughs> So one day, we're chasing around a particular group of girls, the popular girls, even in third grade, you begin to figure that stuff out. And so James puts on this scary face and, and charges at the, one of these girls, and, and they all giggle and squeal with delight. Well, seeing that James has, has a way with the ladies, I decide to follow his example. So I put on my scary face and charge the girls as well. And the most popular girl, Carmella, looks at me with disgust and says, "Ew!" Her friends join the chorus, and next thing you know, I'm standing alone in the middle of the playground. Yeah. Still hurts. So I discovered at an early age that belonging isn't so easy. And I could tell that story because I know you've got a story too. The problem with belonging is that we always mess it up, or someone else messes it up for us, and we never quite get over it. So why should things be any different in the church? That's what the character we just met in the drama was asking. I mean, don't we bring our same flaky, fallen selves to this community called the church? This fall, we're talking about true belonging, we're going to this book of Romans, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a community of faith in the, in the city of Rome, a community that was struggling with this idea of belonging. And so we're trying to learn what it means to, to be a community where people belong and what kind of community the church is supposed to be. So far we've learned that we are a Christ-centered community, that we are simply people who are moving towards Jesus from near and far. And then we learned last week that we're a transcendent community that we worship something in someone bigger than ourselves. And that helps to bring us together. But before we go any further, we'd better address the problem with belonging, and that is ourselves. I mean, clearly, if this thing is ever going to work, if we're going to find true belonging, something has to change deep inside of us. And so today, we'll talk about becoming a transformative community, a place where people are changed. So let's go again to Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to be in chapter 12 again, and we're going to focus on one verse, uh, but we'll hit a few others. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're jumping into the second part of this letter. In the first part of the letter, chapters 1 through 11, Paul lays the theological foundation for belonging. And it begins with a relationship with Christ. But then in 12 through 16, Paul gets practical. And he teaches us how to actually belong to each other in this community called the church. And in this one verse, Paul touches on two very different ways of belonging. A way that we'll call conformity, and a way that we'll call transformity. I don't think that's the word, but it is now, okay? (laughs) Conformity and transformity. The first way is the way of conformity, fitting in. Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's a very strong statement. It's actually a command. Do not conform. And the particular language here suggests that it's not just a one-time decision. This is a lifelong practice of not conforming to the pattern of this world. Now, when the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about the earth or about people. It's talking about the system. this system of beliefs and values and behaviors that leaves God out of the picture. A without God kind of a life. And Paul knows that our longing to belong is so strong that we might be tempted at times to compromise our values, our beliefs, and maybe even our identity in Christ just to fit in. So according to the dictionary, to conform is to behave according to the usual standards of behavior that are expected by a group or a society. Now, we figured this out pretty quick. If, if we want to be in with us, belong to a certain crowd of kids at school, we, we learn to speak and act and dress the way they do, whether it's the jocks or the brains or the theater crowd or the skaters or whoever it is. So we learn that quick as kids, but it's really no different in grown up groups as well. Just the other day, I was passed on the highway coming the other way of this pack of motorcycle riders. And it became pretty clear that if you wanted to belong to that group, you'd better buy yourself a Harley get some black leather pants, put whatever hair you have left in a ponytail, (laughs) and hit the road with a scowl on your face. I mean, there were 50 of them, and they were all just like that. (laughs) Brene Brown calls this fitting in. Now, Brene Brown is the social scientist and the TED Talker whose book, Braving uh, Braving the Wilderness is kind of a catalyst for this series. She She came up with that phrase, true belonging. And according to Brene Brown, fitting in is a poor substitute for true belonging. Because fitting in means trimming the edges off our personality. It means stifling our individuality. It might even mean compromising who we really are. And so she says, if we settle for conformity, for fitting in, we'll never truly be ourselves. In fact, she writes it this way. True belonging doesn't, re- doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Now think about that statement for a minute. There's something true about that statement. We, we want the freedom to be ourselves, right? We don't want to belong to something because we pretend to be something we're not. We want to be who we are. So true belonging shouldn't require you not to be yourselves, right? And that particular message, just be who you are, it's a very popular message in contemporary culture. In fact, it's part of the pattern of this world. Just be who you are. Uh, Jim White is a pastor and author down in North Carolina, and he writes a popular blog called Church and Culture. And in a recent post just a week or so ago, he, wrote a, he posted about some, some commentary about his family's favorite movie of last year, and it happened to be The Greatest Showman. Okay, chances are many of us have seen it. In case you haven't, it tells the story of the circus master P.T. Barnum, Uh, who gathered up all the misfits of society, the giants and the little people and the bearded ladies and the conjoined twins, and he brought them all together and he made them the stars of the show. He celebrated their differences instead of hiding them. And the signature song of the show is a rousing tune entitled, This Is Me. It celebrates diversity and, and the challenge, challenges us to be brave and to be ourselves. Listen to just a few lines of the song. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Now, again, there's something wonderful about that song and True. Every human being is made in the image of God. We've been placed in this world to glorify him in a way no other human being can. All of us, every single one of us, are worthy of love and belonging. That is true. But there's something in the song that's not true. We are not who we're meant to be. Not yet, anyway. We're not. We're destined for glory... When, when, when Paul talks about uh, God's good and pleasing and perfect will, he's describing a human being fully alive, fully themselves, being just like Christ. And someday we will be that way. But we're not that way yet. We are not yet who we're meant to be. We fall short of that glory again and again and again. So when we say, this is me, There's a part of that that is acknowledging our beauty and and our worth and our value to God and to humanity. And that's good. But when we say, this is me, we also have to acknowledge our brokenness and our fallenness. In many ways, we fall short of the good things we were made to do and be. Now, when I say fallenness and brokenness, I'm not talking about our physical characteristics. I'm not talking about our mental abilities. I'm talking about who we are on the inside. I'm talking about our true spiritual selves. Those selves that so often say and do the wrong things. Things that ruin community and that sometimes ruin lives. Ours as well. There's something to celebrate about every human being. That's true. There's also something to confess about every human being. And that's that we are not who we're meant to be. At least, not yet. Now, please, don't hear this as the rantings of a cranky old preacher beating up on Hollywood. I really don't want it to sound like that. It's a fun movie. It's a great song. You should hear my grandchildren belt it out, okay? There are wonderful truths and values being celebrated in the song and in the movie. It's just that there are some truths that are being ignored. Truths that actually make for a better story than P.T. Barnum's circus, but they're hard truths. Until we face those truths and recognize and respond to them, we can never really be the people we were meant to be or experience the belonging that we truly want to experience. I put it out earlier that Paul's teaching in 12 through 16 is based on the theology he gets at in the early chapters of the book. So for a moment, let's go back to some of those early chapters and try to understand some of the theology around who we are. Paul opens the letter in chapter 1 by reminding us that God loves all people, Jew and Gentile, that that he has a place in his kingdom. He he, he wants every human being to join him in his kingdom. Chapter 1, verse 6 reads, And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Every human being. Has a place, can have a place in his kingdom, including you. The problem, he goes on to explain, is that as human beings, we continually fall short of that destiny. We either don't believe it's for us, or we ignore it, or we flat out reject it and go our own way. Listen to what he writes a few verses later. Now, this is going to be uncomfortable, but to make it even more uncomfortable, I've changed the the, the, the second person, the third person. Pronouns, they, to the first person, we. So listen. Since we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, we have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. We invent ways of doing evil. We disobey our parents. We are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Whoa. Now, as uncomfortable as it is, just take a minute and look over that list. How many of those behaviors showed up in last week's news cycle? Just think about the news stories you and I heard last week. If you're like me, probably you turn the news off once in a while or just shut down your feed because you just couldn't take it anymore. There's so much bad news. Now look at the list again. How many of those behaviors showed up in your life and behavior this past week? Probably more than you care to admit. Now, are all of us, all of those things, all of the time? Of course not. But are all of us some of those things? Some of the time? Absolutely. We are not who we're meant to be. That's not who we're meant to be. But sometimes it's who we are. And that's why community is so hard. I mean, look at all the things here that destroy community. Greed, envy, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, arrogance, faithfulness. No wonder it falls apart all the time. We're our own worst enemies when it comes to belonging because we can never escape our own flaws and failures. We can never overcome our own inadequacies. So Paul concludes this whole section in chapter three, verse 23, with these words. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that word sin simply means to fall short to miss the mark. It's it's telling us that we were born destined for glory, but there's this skew in our nature that causes us to always miss and to fall short. And we we do it again and again. How many times this week have you fallen short of the person you wanted to be in some way or another? And so that's what gets in the way of belonging. Belonging. Now, I think we all understand this is not a popular message today. The the, the pattern of this world is to not talk about sin, to ignore it or even deny that it even exists. Since we're beating up on culture, let me keep going, all right? (laughs) Musicals in particular. How about the, the Broadway show Wicked, all right? Good show. Tells the backstory behind The Wizard of Oz. Why the Wicked Witch of the West is so wicked and, and why she's so green. Now, it's a great show. Karen and I saw it on Broadway. We bought the CD, the whole thing. If you've never heard Adina Menzel sing Defying Gravity, then you need to dial it up because it is a great song and it'll lift you right out of your seat. <coughs> so it's a great show with some wonderful messages about differences and belonging. But the big idea of the show is that no one is really wicked. They're just different. They're just misunderstood. There's really no such thing even as wickedness. As appealing as that message is, as politically correct as that message might be, it doesn't really square with reality, does it? It doesn't match human experience. Think again about last week's news cycle. Any wickedness there? Think again about your behavior last week. Any wicked tendencies there? So let's come back to Paul's opening words. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to say there's nothing wrong with any of us. That belonging is simply a matter of showing up and being who you are. Singing, this is me. And we don't need to change who we are because who we are is who we're meant to be. It sounds great, but it's just not true. At least I hope it's not true. I hope, I hope the world isn't as good as it's going to get right now. I hope I'm not as good as I'm going to get right now. If this is as good as it gets, if this is as good as I am get, then we're never going to truly belong anywhere because we're always going to mess it up, which is basically the history of the human race. So, according to Paul, the world's way of belonging isn't conformity, it's transformity. Let's look again at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this phrase is just as strong as the first one it's a command be transformed. It's a command that's meant to be followed continuously, like over the course of a lifetime. Keep on being transformed. So if conformity is about fitting in, transformity is about being changed. The dictionary defines transformation as a complete change in nature, character, or form. The Greek word Paul uses there for transformation is that Greek word metamorpho, from which we get, of course, metamorphosis. It's the word we use to describe what happens to to a caterpillar, caterpillar when it spins itself a chrysalis and then crawls out and turns into a butterfly. Now it's the same creature, but it's been dramatically changed in character and form. It's become far more beautiful and valuable and capable than it was before. It's been changed been transformed. It's the same word that's used, that was used in the Bible to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That that day that Peter, James, and John joined him on the mountain and he was transformed. And he became so radiant, so beautiful, so completely himself that all they wanted to do was stay there for the rest of their lives. He was transformed. And it's the same word that God uses to describe what he wants to do for you and for me. To transform us into the beautiful, capable, eternally significant people we were designed to be. The difference between who we are and who we're meant to be is like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. Now this is kind of ridiculous, but imagine for a minute a caterpillar rising up on its back legs on a twig and singing, this is me. (laughs) No, we'd say, that's not you. You're, You're gonna be way more beautiful and powerful than that. And so when we say this is me, we acknowledge our beauty and our potential, but we also have to acknowledge our fallenness and our brokenness. And we're acknowledging our need to be transformed, that we are on our way to being somebody that we're not yet. But here's the thing about transformation. You can't transform yourself. Notice, English majors, it's in the passive mood. Be transformed. And you can improve yourself. You can be a little nicer. You can be a little kinder. You can be a little more faithful. But but changing yourself dramatically in form and nature, you can't do that to yourself. Only the one who created you and designed you can do that. Transformation is something that God does, and he does it through our faith in Christ. And it's as miraculous as what happens to a caterpillar inside that chrysalis. Now, Paul actually describes this transformation process in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. In the same way that a caterpillar needs to be set free from that earthbound form in order to spread its wings and fly, you and I need to be set free from our sinful selves in order to become the beautiful and glorious people we were meant to be. And that transformation is a process that God works in us from the inside out. Skip down to verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we can't do this in our own strength, but once we've invited Christ into our lives, his spirit now enables us to to begin to become the people that we were meant to be. That transformation doesn't happen overnight or or over, over a year or two. It's a lifelong process. In fact, that process isn't even complete until the day that we... Stand in Christ's presence and the life to come. Friends, I've been, I've been seeking and following Christ my whole life. And with the help of his spirit, little by little, I'm becoming more and more the man, the husband, the father, the friend, the neighbor, the pastor that he wants me to be and that I want to be. But I'm not there yet. I'm, but I'm on my way. Someday I'll be that person. I'm on my way. And so are you. And so are we. In Christ. In Christ. So what does all this have to do with true belonging? Simply this. We belong to each other in order to become ourselves. We belong to each other in Christ in order to become our true selves in Christ. That's what brings us together. And that's what keeps us together. And see, this is the opposite of how community works in the world. According to the pattern of this world, you, you, you become first in order to belong to something. If you want to belong to the jocks, you better be a good athlete. If you want to belong to the brains, you'd better be smart. If you want to belong to the motorcycle club, you better have black leather pants. <laughs> if you want to belong to the plumber's union, you have to be a plumber. You, you become first and then you belong. That's conformity. In the church, it works the other way around. You belong in order to become. You come as you are in order to become who you're meant to be and who you want to be. And you come with all your flaws and all your failures and all your deficiencies and all your disasters. You bring it all. We come as we are, and together we become the people we're meant to be. Now, we don't have time today to explain how that whole work of transformation takes place, but Paul gives us a hint here in verse two. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now he's telling us is that transformation is an inside job. It has to happen deep down inside of us if we're going to become new and better people. So we know it involves the work of the Spirit because he's already talked about that. And the renewing of the mind part suggests that it has to do with Scripture, where God reveals his truth to us. But what Paul's going to tell us in the the chapters to come, the chapters we're going to look at in the next few weeks, is that this transformation also involves community. That it happens in relationship with other people. In the same way that a caterpillar crawls into that chrysalis in order to be changed, we crawl into community in order to be transformed, in order to become more like Christ. Now, for the past few weeks, uh, campus pastors and I have been hosting focus groups on each of our campuses. We've kind of gathered together 12 or 15 or 20 folks, kind of a cross-section of each congregation, and we've just sat for an hour and a half and just talked about life at Grace Chapel. Tell us what's working. Tell us what could work better. Tell us what kind of coffee you like, whatever. Just tell us about life at Grace Chapel. It's been really, really revealing for us. But the first question we've asked and the most revealing question is this one. Describe a transformative moment or season in your life at Grace Chapel. What ministry or event took you to a new place in relationship in your relationship with Christ? Now, for sure, there's a variety of answers to that question. People have talked about Christmas Eve services or, or, or sacred spaces or a retreat or a missions trip. A few people even mentioned the sermons, which is nice. <laughs> but far and away the majority of transformative moments in church life have taken place in groups. They've taken place in community. Again and again and again. For one person, it's a group of young moms praying together and meeting together in a challenging time of life. For another, it's a group of men meeting to have breakfast together before they head off to work. Or it's a high school small group. Or it's a fire young adult group. Or it's a kid's town serving team. Or it's a worship team. Sometimes it's often it was the life communities. These groups of people who meet in homes to, to study the scripture together, to have lasagna, to whatever they're gonna do, to care for each other and do life together. These are the places that people have experienced transformation deep down on the inside. Now, just so happens that today's Connect Sunday here at Grace Chapel. It's a day in which we celebrate and kind of make available and invite you to check out all the many ways you can belong to a group here at Grace. And there are a lot of them. We have, we have short-term groups that are more like classes, Alpha, Roots, Grow. It's, it's a great way to make your first jump into meeting some people. Then we have our ongoing groups. These tend to be life communities, people who meet in homes a couple times a month, or different other men's, women's, young adult groups. And then we have care and support groups. If there's some kind of particular need or season of life or challenge you're going through, you can check those out. If if you've never experienced group life, you are missing out on the most wonderful and transformative experience you can have in this church or any church. So if you're not involved in a group somewhere, I encourage you before you leave today, take a few moments and, and stop on your way out and find out some more about group life at Grace. So, I'll finish with one of my favorite stories from those focus groups. One woman described how she received in the mail a a, a mailer announcing the opening of a new Grace Chapel campus in her community. Now, she wasn't going to church at the time and really wasn't feeling very connected to God, but she decided to go. So, she visited, and her first Sunday, these are her words The moment I walked in the door, I felt like I belonged. And she went on to describe how welcomed she felt every single Sunday and how she found her way into an alpha type group where she actually discovered what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And then how she found her way to a roots group where she began to grow in her faith and how that led her then to be baptized, to to proclaim her faith publicly to her community. And and then how she found her way onto a serving team at Kidstown. And here's the thing, as she was telling that story, as I was watching her face as she told that story, it was like watching a caterpillar break out of a chrysalis. Like like she was becoming a butterfly right before our eyes. A, A more beautiful version of herself than she or we could ever have imagined her to be. And she's still making that journey. So let's come back to the woman we met in the drama showing up at church and wondering why this place is going to be any different from any other places she's tried to find belonging before. Well, here's the difference. In this community, you belong in order to become. This is not a community for people who've arrived. It's a community for people who are on the way. People who are moving toward Jesus. From near and far, at all different paces, in all different seasons of life, but people who are coming just as they are in order to become who they were meant to be. And if you've never entered into that kind of community, we want you to know there's a place here for you. Whether it begins on a Sunday in a worship setting like this, but then we pray that it would find its way to some smaller group of people where you truly can be yourself in order to become yourself in Christ. Let's pray. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and after I do, as we dismiss to our campuses, we're going to allow ourselves a a moment or two of silence just to sit with these truths and allow the Lord to speak to us. So Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning to be reminded that that you you have made us for eternal glory. That you've made us who we are. That you love us as we are. That you sent your son Jesus to be with us as we are. But you love us too much to leave us that way, Lord. And so you are inviting us and forgiving us and freeing us in order to become people that we want to be and long to be and that you made us to be. So we thank you for the many ways we have found you on that journey, the many ways we have found belonging here in this church or some other. But we pray, Lord, that you continue to lead us to deeper and deeper places. Lord, show us who you would have us to be in the year to come and the steps we might take to get there. In Jesus' name, amen.